When AWS has 200 plus services, and it's not just basic compute, storage, and networking, an, a managed service provider is stuck in this trap of, you know, you can't support all of those things across the board in an unlimited fashion. And so instead, they create these solutions where you know, they tell you, okay, we'll support your AWS environment, but we're only going to support these few services. And I call that the um, all you can eat, but I sure hope you like Jello type of service model. Well, hey guys, it's Jeff Diverter, the host of Cloud Talk. Now, this week I'm joined by Josh Pruitt. Now, Josh leads Rackspace's public cloud offerings, and Rackspace recently launched a new service offering called Rackspace Elastic Engineering. Now, we're not necessarily here to talk about that product, but we're here to talk about why it's important, the changes in IT consumption, the changes in how people are adopting the public cloud. Between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Diverter. So it starts to feel like this podcast starts very similar each time where I talk about the amazing amounts of change in IT. And it's true, though. And it's impacting so many different areas. Really, one of the big drivers is how the infrastructure spurred on by the cloud movement has uh, has effectuated so much change inside of organizations. And I'm joined today by... Josh Pruitt, who is going to have a little chat with me about this. Josh, welcome to the program. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, and what we're going to talk about today is how all of this has ultimately impacted teams inside of organizations, how they're organized, how they're um, how they function, and then ultimately what that impact does. Well, I guess just to the infrastructure. So why don't we start by, well, tell us what you do. You're, you're an employee of Rackspace Technology, but tell us what, what's the day in the life of Josh Pruitt. I started at Rackspace a little over 11 years ago, and I've carried a lot of different roles in that time. I've been the guy on the front line taking chats and phone calls and working tickets. I've led various support teams. Um, I was the chief of staff for um, our data center and support organizations at one point. I led our Rackspace OpenStack public cloud business. Uh, but most recently, and what I'm doing today, is I am the vice president for our public cloud business at Rackspace. So our AWS, Azure, and GCP development engineering and product teams um, is my world. Exciting. Okay. Now, I want to get one thing out of the way as well, and that is um, Rackspace has had uh, a new launch in how we support and um, and manage and maintain customers' cloud environments. So let's just define what that is, and then I want to put it to the side, and I want to talk about all the conditions that that have changed that has, has sort of caused this this um, this evolution in how we provide support. So why don't you take us through what that is in just a couple of minutes? Remember, this isn't a place to sell it. We just want to understand what we did, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about why it was necessary. Absolutely. Happy to do that. So Rackspace recently launched Rackspace Elastic Engineering. 
And what it is at its core is it allows customers to buy capacity in a small team of rackers who are going to know the customer's um, business objectives, know their technology, know their team, and they work together in what we call a do-with model. And that allows for the rackers and the customers to have affinity with one another. The rackers understand the customer's business. And the rackers are able to solve the customer's infrastructure needs, not through a spheres of management and what is or isn't supported, but by leveraging every single piece and functionality within the hyperscale providers. Well, that is an absolute change in how I'll say any managed service company kind of looks after uh, workloads today in public cloud. And it's an exciting change. Uh, and as I think about kind of those old days of managed services where you you said it really well, and that was, here's this, what we would call the spheres of support. Think of a circle on a page and anything inside that circle, we would do. Anything outside of that circle, we wouldn't do. And the challenge that customers, well, and their frustration with us is as those new capabilities came into their cloud provider of choice, you know, the stuff inside of that circle, that circle seemed to get smaller and smaller. And it was frustrating for, for customers. So this is a very interesting model, but I want to ask you a question about it because it sure sounds an awful lot or parallel or similar to professional services. How is it different? Yeah. So the difference between Rackspace Elastic Engineering and professional services is that with professional services, you are buying a scope statement of work. You're, you're really buying an outcome. Um, you're saying, Hey, I need this project done. Here is the, here are the requirements for it. Here's what in state looks like. And you're buying that outcome with Rackspace Elastic Engineering. You're buying capacity in a team. You're buying throughput. And so maybe you don't know exactly what you're going to need that team to do eight weeks from now, but you do know that you have day-to-day tasks that come up um, as you're managing your your infrastructure and your relationship with hyperscale providers. Um, Maybe you need to figure out a new backup strategy for one of your applications. Maybe an application needs a new CICD pipeline. Um, Maybe you're building something new and you need to develop the infrastructure as code templates to be able to launch it. these things come up all the time in just day-to-day running the business. And that's what you're buying with Rackspace Elastic Engineering. So you're buying access to that team who can provide that throughput and capacity and partner with your internal operations and development team to go deliver those results. Okay, that makes sense. So, okay, enough selling Rackspace. That's not why we're here. We're here to talk about what's changed because what's changed is impacting everyone. And... And let's start with, we've already addressed the fact that there's, and everybody knows, the hyperscalers, well, they just keep creating new technology and new capabilities for everybody to consume. But what's changed in teams? Why, why, are, why are IT teams so different now that, that this is a benefit to them and they're able to now consume something like this? I, th- I think the major shift is that uh, AWS and then uh, obviously eventually uh, Azure and GCP have made it so much easier for anybody to be an IT buyer. It used to be that the IT buyers were the CIO or the VP of infrastructure, and they would have teams that were you know, very clearly a y'all are the compute and server team, y'all are the networking team, and here's the storage team. And if somebody in the business needed something, a new environment, a new application built, a new website, whatever. They would have to go through IT. That was the only way to buy servers, storage, and networking. 
And then you see the rise of um, infrastructure as a service clouds and AWS and the hyperscalers. And now everybody can be an IT buyer. Um, it, anybody with a corporate card is able to go and create their accounts and provision resources instantly. So that's, that's really been the shift is that you don't have all of IT rolling up into one department anymore. It's really been democratized out to uh, entire companies. Another change that I've seen as well is, you know, we talk about the changing IT buyer, but the changing person who is in IT or is doing an IT function has changed. You know, IT, they're not relegated to building 102 over in the corner of a campus somewhere. You know, they're in every aspect of the organization. Inside of HR, you have business analysts and technology analysts. You have people inside of, of, of business operations who are, who are using robotic, robotic process automation to, to alleviate these manual processes and make them automatic. You have data analysts in, and, and even machine learning experts inside of the marketing team trying to make sense of what's happening there. So you've got IT is literally everywhere now. And that's, I think, kind of an exciting thing. You, the, the tech fluency has certainly gone up in organizations. Absolutely. One, one of my early roles was a Linux system administrator. And if you think about that role and job description today, yeah, it's still viable. Um, there's definitely still a need for it. Linux isn't going anywhere. But more and more, we're saying you know, to be a really efficient system administrator or Linux system administrator or Windows system administrator, you have to have a solid understanding of the infrastructure and the providers. You have to understand Azure. You have to understand AWS. Um, it's not all about you know, how many services can run on one VM and you know, how do you make those services play nicely? You're dealing with distributed compute systems um, that are being driven by microservices from these providers. You can't just know an operating system anymore. It doesn't work that way. Well, in the days of being a strict, I'm a Linux system administrator person are sort of gone because in the old days, you know, back when you did the job here at Rackspace, you know, once that machine was created and the OS was provisioned, I mean, then it was your job to do all the things that you would do. Well, now in a cloud-based world, through whatever scripting environment that you're using, you're not only creating those VMs and administering them, but you also have to be a storage engineer. You have to be a network engineer. You have to be a security engineer and all of those things. And that's what's pulling. You know, we finally gotten smarter and pulled these teams, everybody together into these, into these groupings. We use the term pod inside of organizations that that all of those folks are literally or figuratively sitting next to one another being able to you know to do that work and make sure it gets done right on the storage side on the server side on the everything else side I, I think that's definitely the case but I'd even call out there it's it's not all about everything being a VM um, you know a, a VM is not my hammer and everything in the world is not my nail I, I have to you know be able to use the right tool for the right job and you know, as these hyperscale providers have you know, come out and created new services and they continue to do so week after week after week, um, there's so much more in your toolbox that you can use uh, to create a modern infrastructure that can be operated um, in you know, a, a modern way. Well, you know, all of that, of course, being effectuated through the process and, uh, and methodology of, of DevOps. But we've been doing DevOps for a long time, Josh. What's, what's really changed? What else is, 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 is that play into the, this new tooling setup that you're talking about? That's a really great point is, you know, the, the concept of DevOps has been around for, um, gosh, a decade, maybe. Um, it's been around for quite some time. 
But if I think back to the way that I learned DevOps eight, nine years ago, um, it was, you know, using Chef or Salt or Ansible. And you were really writing scripts that you would use to bootstrap your server that would load your server configs. And then when you ran them, uh, you know, it'd go out and it would build your EC2 instance or your OpenStack instance. And uh, it would you know, load all those configurations on and you'd still at the end of the day have a VM. Uh, the, the difference in the shift is in not using VMs for everything anymore. It's about using, you know, cloud native infrastructure, um, the cloud native environment and all the cloud native tools that are available to you to build out what you need. You know, I, I say that it used to be that um, we would force developers to build their applications to run on whatever infrastructure was provided to them. And now we're saying, hey, developers, build an application to solve a problem because we can mold the infrastructure to whatever application you've built. Well, what I get really excited about is you think about all those evolutions, not only in the methodologies, the DevOpses and so forth, DevOps is. That's a funny phrase. And um, uh, and what's going on in the hyperscalers. But now when you think about the, the shift that's happening in managed service providers, and isn't it always just about how can, and this goes back to the methodology of the beginning of Rackspace. And that was, let's take some of those, we'll call them the mundane things of, of, of running a compute environment. And, and we'll We'll let, we'll let a managed service provider, we'll let a managed hosting provider do those things for us. And more and more, you know, the, the easy, the little things are being programmed out, whether it is uh, being done through scripting activities or whether we're even getting away, from, as you say, from a VM into a container, into serverless, into whatever it might be, or even SaaS-based offerings. Now we're taking that support offering and making it as malleable as possible so that it meets the needs at the time when the need exists. So when I, when I think about the history of managed service providers, um, you know, you think about how it used to be compute, storage, networking, and your MSP, they just, they supported all of that, right? Like that was their job. That was the scope of service and, and that's what they delivered. And that's, that's where Rackspace really had its roots. Um, but as, as the technology has evolved, um, so too has, you know, the, the fears of management, as you will, as we've talked about earlier, from these managed service providers. Because um, when AWS has 200 plus services, and it's not just basic compute storage and networking, an, a managed service provider is stuck in this trap of, you know, you can't support all of those things across the board in an unlimited fashion. And so instead, they create these solutions where, you know, they tell you, okay, we'll support your AWS environment but we're only going to support these few services. And I call that the um, all you can eat, but I sure hope you like Jello type of service model. And you know, I, I think it's worked for managed service providers for you know, the past decade, but the industry has to evolve. And more and more, we're seeing customers who um, they demand a lot more than just Jello. <laughs> they demand a lot more than just those basics. They want the full suite that the cloud provider can offer. Well, and you think about what the, the promise of all this technology is, and that is to help solve real world business problems faster, better, quicker, and more robustly, and do it in a way that ideally gives you more than you had when you started. Um, now we are able to enable uh, IT to really not just 
earn, but maintain that new position that they have. Because, you know, as I mentioned, joked before, you know, IT is not tucked in a corner somewhere of the building or in our own building. IT has a, has a first class seat at the business table. I brag a lot about uh, a lady that I interviewed last year. Her name is Ty Hayes, and she's the CTO of the city of Atlanta. And she gives this great example of when COVID kicked in and the business leaders yeah, there, including the mayor, were talking about how do we communicate? Well, they, somebody said, well, let's, let's put up a website so that we can tell when the office hours for this specific service are available uh, and how they can reach them. And Ty raises her hand and says, we can do so much more. We could actually shift some of these services to being completely online. And, and everybody said, well, let's try one, see how it goes. Well, lo and behold, many months later, so many of their processes had been turned into completely virtual processes as they re-engineered the entire thing. I think it's a great example of how IT now has this seat at the table where it didn't before. And when you think about the demands that they have for their technology providers, it can't be that you can have this one little slice of support here and you're kind of on your own for the rest of it. I, I think that's a tremendous example. And what I love about it is I think that it really illustrates that IT's role in a modern company is to be a Sherpa, if you will, to the rest of the company to bring them along and show them what's available and give them guidance on how they, they should be building or could be building and what are best practices and what can we do from a governance perspective to make the whole company operate more smoothly. But at the end of the day, the, it's it's the business owners who are you know climbing Everest to keep up with that Sherpa analogy. Um, they're the ones who are you know doing doing that work and working with the infrastructure providers. But you have your IT team there that is helping give guidance, helping create guardrails, helping make sure that they do it right. I, and I think that's a major shift that we've seen. Yeah, and it's exciting because you see these changes inside of businesses that. You know, you couldn't have seen before because the technology didn't exist and you didn't see before because the business wasn't looking to IT at the moment when the need arised. At some point, they'd go back and knock on IT's door and say, hey, we need some infrastructure to do to you know, install this new app we found, as opposed to really being there to help um, effectuate that change. And so when we think about these changes and these changing teams, so many teams and aspects of the teams all throughout the organization now, their tech fluency just goes up and goes up. You see it in HR, you see it in marketing, you see it well, everywhere. And so now as IT not only you know has a seat at the table, but, but their reach goes so much farther and their ability to not just effectuate the, uh, the growth of the company, but growth of individual careers where people get into tech where they never really thought they were going to be in tech before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's 2021. We're all in technology. There's no getting away from it. Um, and if, if you think that you're not, uh, you're wrong. And you, we, we see this across Rackspace as well, where, you know, we have our, um, our TCT, our technical career track at Rackspace, where we have principal architects and engineers. And what's interesting is they don't all come from the IT department or the support department or product. We have people in our TCT who are in marketing or in HR. And it's, it's exactly to your point because all of those business units, they rely on technology to be able to run their business. And that means that they have to have that brain power 
within their orgs. That's so true. And you know, I was talking to some of the folks uh, here at Rackspace who are part of our data analytics team. So they're out on the professional services side of the house, helping companies you know, build these dashboards. And I really wanted to better understand I wanted to know the visual components. How do they take some of what they're doing and make them visually compelling? How do they fit them into style guides and design principles and this sort of stuff? And I'll tell you, these, these couple of guys are awesome. I'm going to do a whole podcast with them. They sort of just looked at me a little bit blankly and then told me, okay, here's how we do these projects. And if you were to look at the sum total of one of these uh, projects, what they have to do first is 80% of the whole process it's just figuring out the data, getting the data in a way that you can ask better questions of it. And they said the most valuable person on that project is somebody from the business unit who also is tech literate because somebody has to figure out what they're take their business challenges and learn what questions need to be asked of the data before we can even go out and figure out what that data is. You're absolutely right. We're seeing that day in and day out. There's just so much more that's required of the business units than just their function. They they have to be involved in, in the technology. You know, I use that phrase. I've used it a couple of times today. Tech fluency, tech literacy, and it just goes up and up and up. You think about you know when when you started at Rackspace, or I started. You know, when did I start? Two thousand and eight. Um, so sometime around the same time, but even before that, you remember email used to be strange. People didn't get email in the early days. And, uh, and if you think about this time last year or a few months even beyond that, you know, as the pandemic kicked in and all of our friend groups and all of our social groups, you know, they said, okay, we can't meet in person. We should, we should do this online thing. And you would have meetings with them to test using zoom. Let's make sure everyone can log into zoom. And I think it's a great example of the, whole, the pandemic has forced collaboration capabilities, uh, digital collaboration capabilities beyond where, we're, where we ever thought they would have been before. But I'll tell you, Josh, I think that has also driven a lot of this tech advancement as well, because we're able to collaborate as, as technical people in our teams with people everywhere where we never it would be more challenging to do that. Before. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, to your point, um, I, I can certainly see how two years ago, even video conferencing you know, wasn't all that popular. I'm sure a lot of technology companies yeah. were using it. Some, you know, global companies were using it. Um, but you know, now it's just, it's not acceptable to not be able to use it. I mean, one guy gets on, um, goes to court as a lawyer, as a cat in a video filter. And next thing you know, he's a meme across the entire world because he can't figure out how to turn a video filter off. <laughs> Saying that you don't understand technology just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't cut it anymore. No. And, and, and again, what that's doing is it's driving the pace of change faster and faster because the demands are there. The needs are there. And technology, you know, you could even say a couple of years ago, everything that that AWS and Azure and, and Google were doing in their clouds was sort of a solution looking for a problem. Well, we got problems in spades now, or I'll call them opportunities in spades. And, and it's bringing entire organizations together. The pace of, of development is so much faster. And, and the look and the feel and the behavior of IT and organizations, I don't think it'll ever be what we saw before. Well, I think you really nailed it with the, the, the pace. And when I think about that, I think about it as the pace of innovation is so much faster. And, and it's required for, for anybody in, in business to be able to innovate so much faster than what we could do, you know, 10 years ago and certainly 20, 30 years ago. Um, you know, and, and so it's not about 
hey, there's really cool technology. I want to be a geek and play with it. And, you know, I always want to use the, the next bleeding edge thing. Um, no, this, this technology is in service of speed to innovate. Um, uh, because frankly, if, if any company today isn't innovating quickly, they're going to be left in the, left in the dust. Yeah. Okay. So Josh, you and I work with companies who, in a lot of ways are really far down the road compared to say a lot of their peers. Uh, there are, there are stats out there. Gartner has them. Forrester has them that says it's 20%, maybe 30% of companies have truly begun this digital, what we'll call and, and is defined as digital transformation, taking what you did before, making it more modern and, and such. But let's take of that. Let's take the technology piece off the, off the table for a moment. In your experience, how can some how can an organization that hasn't really started this process before start to think about what they're going to need to do with their people with their teams and how they're organized what advice might you have for them the best advice i could give them is just start start today start talking to the technical people in your company start talking to your developers start understanding what problems it is that they're solving. Because like, I guarantee for any decent sized company out there, you have people in IT that have AWS accounts in the shadows. You have people who are playing with this stuff on the side. You have people who are writing scripts to automate their job so that they can play more Call of Duty on the, on the clock. Start talking to your people and understand what is going on and who they're working with. Because that's the other key part is that it's not silos of all of our developers in one place and all of our operations team in one place. Instead, everybody's centered around the application. And so when you have a developer who's working on an application, he needs to be talking to the, the person in operations that is also working on that application because that's how you're going to get much faster innovation. The ops person is tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again, and the developer helps to solve it. So the best advice that I can give to any company that is either early on in their transformation or hasn't started yet because they still have you know computers running under the desks for whatever their, their needs are, um, start talking to your team and start making that plan for how you're going to evolve over the next few years. It's, a, it's great advice. And isn't it really one of the key tenants when we think about from an agile perspective? And that is get in, try it, probably going to do part of it or a lot of it wrong, but fail fast, fix and move on. And I would maybe tag on to that, uh, the thought that you shouldn't really count anything that you've done in the past as something you would by rote, make sure is included in the future. Your organization is 100% going to shift. Your processes are going to change. So assume everything's on the chopping block. You might get to save some, but assume everything's on the chopping block. Completely agree because you know what? If you don't change, then you're going to go the same route as all of the companies that we've seen over the past few decades that have refused to change until a technology company comes in and disrupts them. And you know, that's, that's a, the unfortunate truth is that you, you change and you evolve or you die. Mm. So, you know, if we think back on the continuum of, of technology, uh, back in the compute world, so you, we, we'll, we'll say there was the mainframe era, we had the client server era, and now we're in the cloud era. So I'm just going to give us three primary areas. And in that whole client server world, and admittedly, a big part of the initial few years of, of cloud was very client server. But um, in, that, in that world, it was a waterfall world. We went through change 
new servers, a new system every couple of three, four, five years, you know, depending on how we were sweating that equity out. But in this new world, we're not going to go do this change. We're talking, you know, again, to people who are just starting to go through this process. Um, don't think it ends in six months. Don't think you have to do this once every three years. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, something's different every day. You're exactly right. And, and look, I wouldn't be doing my job here if I didn't throw in one final plug for Rackspace Elastic Engineering to say that it, that's exactly why we created this service. We created this service so that it can be that do with model with a company that's trying to transform and trying to evolve. Maybe they're much more mature and they're already doing this really well. And we've got the team who can help accelerate that and make it faster and be part of the organization. Or maybe they're very early in their journey and we can show them the ropes. We can show them you know, the, the, the recommendations. We can come to them with opinions on how they can solve their problems. But what you're describing is exactly why we built the service. So I, I ask a lot of the guests what their advice is to people early in the journey. And what I hear a lot also, not just, you know, be ready for the change or just start doing it, is do go through the process with somebody who's led that before, who's been through it before. So partner up. Obviously, Rackspaces can be that partner, but they're all over the world. Find someone who's done it before. And I was having a conversation with the guy who leads our uh, with Amir Kashani, who leads our cloud native development team. And we're having just this conversation. And, and, you know, a lot of companies will be a little worried or concerned or take too long maybe to, to make that partner decision because they look at it like, oh, I win 1985, I chose IBM. And that was a 15-year relationship. There are no more 15-year relationships, by the way. Things change too much. They're specialty partners. Get somebody who can get you started right now. Again, you're going to make mistakes, probably more than half of them in the early days. But just get started and start with someone who's done it before. I agree. It's like I tell my kids, life is too short to only learn from your mistakes. You need to learn from everybody else's mistakes too. Now, they don't listen to me, but maybe your listeners will. That is the best ending for a podcast I think we I've ever had in any of these. And, uh, and with that, Josh, I'm so glad that you were uh, back on the podcast today. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Take care, Jeff. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. It really is amazing when you think about the amount of change that's occurred even in just the past few years in modern IT and IT operations to meet the changes in development, in infrastructure, well, even in all the things. Well, as always, I want to thank Dell Technologies for their continued support of the Solve program here at Rackspace. It's the Solve program that brings you this podcast as well as all of the other content that you can find over at rackspace.com solve. Now, speaking of solve, I am just delighted and over the moon to get to announce to you that Digiday Content Marketing has, well, they have their, their annual awards and Rackspace, the solve program, as well as this conference came out on top. We were the first place winners. Just really excited about that award and the recognition for all of the folks who make solve possible here at Rackspace. Now, speaking of solve, I want to announce that the Solve Conference, well, it's coming back. 
The conference is what started Solve so many years ago, and we're bringing it back as a virtual conference on August 3rd and 4th. Now, there's going to be a lot more information to come, but you know, just subscribe to this podcast. I'll tell you all about it, or go over to rackspace.com solve, and over the next few weeks and months, there'll be incredible amount of information there. Some amazing speakers, some amazing events, some amazing sessions. All right, so until next time, this is Jeff DeVerter, the host of Clown Talk. I'll see you next week.